I have been thinking of making dresses again and selling them at the markets. You should. You don't think that's a silly idea? Of course not. I don't know why you ever stopped in the first place. I fell in love. Young people want simple clothes these days. They're not interested in all that fancy stuff. How do you know? It's beautiful, Hamish. Wow. You're like a real couture dressmaker. I'm leaving you. Is all this drama really necessary? Lieber, I'll see you in a couple of days. What is that? Lieber! It's five o'clock in the morning. Did I wake you? Yes, I know exactly where she is. I'm not going to tell you, I'm afraid. Why are you interfering? Ta-da! You look gorgeous. Did you make them yourself, the patterns? Oh, yes, I have to. It's hard to find someone who can make a good pattern. Seriously, impossible. Right. First thing we need, a bottle of champagne. Champagne's not actually mentioned in the manual, but it is strongly implied. I did it! Oh. 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 Look at this, Hamish. It's Jacquard Damask Brocade. Oh, I came in by train and I had to get up so early. Oh, thank you. You are welcome. That's the trailer for A Stitch in Time. Hello and welcome to the Cinema Australia podcast. My name is Matthew Eels. I'm thrilled to be speaking about A Stitch in Time. I know it's only Feb, but I can see it being one of my favourite films of 2022 come the end of this year. I have a busy interview schedule at the moment with so many Australian films being released over the next few weeks, but I'm so glad I found the time to interview A Stitch in Time director Sasha Haddon for this podcast. The film is such an inspiring movie, both behind the camera and what we see on screen. It follows Lieber, played by Maggie Blinko a determined woman whose passion for dressmaking is reignited after she meets a young Chinese fashion designer. It's hard to believe that this is Sasha Haddon's first film. He's made two short films and a documentary, and this film cements him as a serious talent and a filmmaker to keep an eye on. Here, Sasha discusses how he developed a passion for filmmaking at a young age, thanks to his supportive mother, his love for Australian filmmaking great Bruce Beresford, and how he used this film as a training ground for emerging filmmakers. As a bonus, I've included a 10-minute chat with one of the film's stars, veteran Australian actor Belinda Giblin, who plays Christine in the film. Most people will know Belinda from her work in Home and Away, Sons and Daughters, Good Guys, Bad Guys, Heartbreak High, The Sullivans and A Country Practice. A Stitch in Time is currently screening at 80 cinemas around the country, so it's sure to be playing somewhere near you, and I urge you to seek it out. Anyway, enjoy. Sasha, thank you for joining the Cinema Australia podcast. I'm excited to be chatting about uh, A Stitch in Time with you. Oh, thanks, Matthew. It's really wonderful to be here. Thank you. Hey, um, A Stitch in Time might be aimed at a, at a certain demographic, but it's a universal story that I think uh, audiences of all ages will be able to 
to uh, find something of themselves in. Uh, complimenting your work here are these luminescent actors who carry this story so well. So congratulations on this one. I think uh, you're an extremely talented storyteller. Thank you very much. We had we had many wonderful people uh, on board this one, and it was a it was a real pleasure and a passion project to um, put put it together. So, have you seen this film with an audience yet? Yeah, it's really wonderful. Um, uh, well, I've seen it um, now with a couple of audiences. We we did a couple of test screenings as well. Yeah, um, I I I feel it really does work well with an audience. Um, there's a lot of laughter, and it's it's really about a sense of community and having you know that shared um, shared laughter and shared tears. Um, there's something really special about seeing it with a group of people. That's beautiful. Are people coming up to you after the screening to to talk to you? Do they want to do they want to approach you? Yeah, it's really it's surprising. You know, we 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 were hoping that the majority of people would would love the film. Um, we're really finding it difficult to find people that don't like it. Um, to be honest, it's it's um, yeah. There 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 are a lot of very um, powerful uh, compliments. A lot of people seem to be. Um, feeling like it's their story yes. um, in different ways. Um, the the characters are very, um, how would I put it, uh, uh, complex and um, uh, I, they're well thought out in a way that um, there there are multiple stories going on, and and I'm finding that different people are are really connecting with the film in different ways with different characters and getting just as much out of it. So it's it's really it, we I, I set out to achieve something like this and the reactions from uh, people make me feel that we have succeeded in in what we set out to achieve. That's that's wonderful to hear. Um, I have to admit though, I was thrown a bit by the trailer, which makes the film uh, seems so much more lighthearted than it actually is. And I mean, there are obviously moments of lightheartedness in the film, but it's also, it can also be quite heavy in drama at times. Um, I guess that's the case, you know, more often than not with trailers. Would you agree with that? Was was that an intentional move on 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 your behalf? Well, the, the original trailer I had was was the opposite, actually. Um, so the, it's it's quite difficult to um, express exactly what what you're seeing, um, we so we lent towards um, the joy in the film, and we don't. F- I don't feel like that. Um, I, I I think we deliver on that joy, but we deliver on a lot more also. Um, so yeah, that's it. That is a fair. That's a fair comment to make. Um, I, I think the the first approach with the trailer was um, a more um, more emotional, but it was sort of doing the the opposite. So it's it's because it it, it does. There's so many laughter and tears in it. It's really difficult to um, to find that balance. So we, I think, um, to have those laugh out loud moments is is often rare um, and I feel the film delivers on that. So that's what we sort of promised. And when I'm sitting there in there and I'm hearing the audience laugh out loud so many times, 
I feel like we deliver on that. So I, I, I hope I hope that we we deliver on what the film promises, but give more is is my thinking. Yes, yes, that's fantastic. Um, so I just want to go back for a moment uh, as far as your career goes. Uh, this is your first feature film following two short films and a documentary called uh, Vicky the Gay Gene Comes to Australia, uh, which I want to talk to you about in a bit. I read last night that you directed your first film when you were 12. Can you tell us a bit about that particular film and, and what drew you to wanting to become a filmmaker? I, I came from a, a, a large family. Um, there was, a, you know, there was eight of us, eight kids all together. Um, and everyone in my family was obsessed with sport and obsessed with soccer. Mm. And I just wasn't that interested in sport and felt like I wanted to do something too and, and sort of decided that I wanted to be a filmmaker. So um, my mum had bought some equipment for me and yet at a very young age I was just making films with some of my um, brothers and sisters and graduated to, you know, high school films that we were, we were winning national awards with. Um, I think it's probably, well, you know, very overdue um, to be having my first feature film to be honest. Um, and I, I think um, I really identified with Duncan in that sense of feeling like, you know, this is taking a long time and, you know, you know, trying to do my first album sort of thing. Um, I'm, obviously I'm not that old, but I, I do, I do, um, I do understand um, that, yeah, it's, things can, things can happen for you at any age as it's, yes. Happened for our, for you know Maggie Blinko having a first starring role, you know, into her eighties, and um, uh, yeah, it's been a sort of a long and interesting road for me. Um, certainly, uh, yeah. Those uh, those films that you're making with your brothers and sisters in your backyard were they uh, recreations of other other films, or were they original things that you were trying to make? Uh, they were they were quite original. Yeah, they were just sort of crazy ideas that we'd come up with and. Um, just at the time it was sort of making the story up as we went along. Um, and yeah, my mom had, we had two, um, we had a little bit of equipment that I was able to do sort of editing on. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, uh, quite, quite am, am, ambitious, I guess, at that age. I think in high school, um, you know, the, the films we made in high school, we, we realized that, you know, winning these awards in high school was, more about our thing, our film being less terrible than everybody else's films. Um, it was just a, we, we, you know, none of us really knew what, you know, none of us were, you know, obviously that accomplished, you know, at that age. And um, yeah, we, you know, we, I just seemed to have a bit more of a knack of it than most people, I guess. Yeah, I love to hear that your mum bought you this equipment. Uh, she was obviously very supporting of, of your passion then. Yeah, at the time um, we so I grew up in Drill in a um, and we we I had an interesting childhood. Um, the thing I didn't realize at the time was that we were you know quite poor, and uh, my mom had actually borrowed money. Despite you know having all us kids, she she had she she really saw such a strong passion. She she borrowed money um, to to buy me equipment, um, which is looking back is really quite extraordinary. I mean, at the time I, I didn't take it for granted. I felt really excited and really lucky, but um, yeah, looking back, it was, it was quite extraordinary. Um, 
to you know to have a to have a um, a parent do that for you, especially in under the circumstances of, of which um, we were in at that time. Mm-hmm. Sorry, whereabouts did you say that uh, that you grew up in? Oh, in Jural, Jural, in the Hills District in uh, Sydney. Oh, fantastic! That's great. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think it's so important uh, for parents to encourage their children's passions uh, for the art. Uh, I know too many people who dreamt of a more creative lifestyle but ended up, you know, working blue collar only because their parents, you know, forced them into it. Um, so I, I love hearing stories about parents being encouraging. Um, is, is your mum still with us? Has she been able to see this film? Yeah, she's seen it and she's um, she's so excited. Um, yeah, she she really loves the she really loves the story. Um, yeah, she's uh, probably number one fan, and it's something. It is quite special to, you know, have a have your mother, yeah, believe believe in what you're doing, and then and really to bring it full circus, full circle to at this stage. Um, yeah, seeing seeing um, such a wonderful film in the cinema is is, is quite a thrill for her. Um, yeah. My father passed away. Although he did see a rough cut of the film, mm-hmm. um, he gave us all this big lecture that he didn't want us to um, to waste uh, the inheritance <laughs> that he was giving us, and that it was all invested wisely. And I said, um, and my he, my stepmom, his wife, who'd passed away a couple of years earlier, she was the counselor at the Conservatorium of Music, and named Barbara Millman. Yeah. And I said, well, how about I put every cent into recording live instruments? Um, for the film with a dedication to Barbara and he thought that was a very good idea. So that was, again, really wonderful that my father did get to see the film and believed in it that much that, yes, that spending every cent on the music of this would be a well-worthwhile idea. Was, was It was also quite special. So there's a lot of um, beautiful things about it. We had Fiona Ziegler from, she was the, she's the assistant concert master of the Sydney Symphony Orchestra, so she led a... 15-piece string section along with Bill Reevesby on keys and um, Angela Miller, who was, uh, she'd been mentored by Thomas Newman, um, just wrote this incredible score. Um, so it was, it was really, the music itself is really something very special. Oh, that's wonderful because the music's so great in this film. Um, we, we will go into the music and, and the film itself in a moment, but I do want to talk about that documentary that you did made. Um, it was about the world's uh, first openly gay bishop, Bishop Jean Robinson. Uh, how did that one come about? Um, it, it sort of it, it's, it sort of evolved. I had um, um, travelled around I, with Michael Kirby. Um, I, um, I knew Michael Kirby, or I still know Michael Kirby, and started shooting a documentary about Michael and um, I just got exposed to different uh, different things going on in the LGBTI community. Um, I'm gay myself. I'm my partner, uh, Tim's um, one of the executive producers of, of A Stitch in Time. Um, uh, and I, I knew Bishop Jean Robinson was coming out to Australia and um, I just thought that there was something really important um, about this particular visit um, and something very interesting about Bishop Jim Robinson. So I set out and created, it's it's sort of, um, yeah, this beautiful documentary um, that really explored ideas around the difference between same-sex marriage or same-sex couples and, and heterosexual couples. And in, in the, and this was 
this was as um, the whole marriage equality, equality debate was really, really heating up. So I, it, it was something that I thought was really, really important. And, and it, it was a very, um, yeah, very, very interesting project in the end. And, um, yeah, I'm very, very proud of it. How was it received at the time? Uh, it was um, it, it was seen at the um, uh, the premiered at the Mardi Gras Film Festival and um, yeah it was it was received very well and we went to the Melbourne um, Film Festival um, yeah um, yeah uh, yeah I think it was quite well received um, and then I sort of quickly moved on to other things. So Yes, yeah. Um, I, I want to ask you about Bruce Beresford. Uh, he, uh, he's obviously seen A Stitch in Time and he's provided a quote for promotional purposes. Uh, you've said that A Stitch in Time was inspired by Beresford's driving Miss Daisy. Uh, what was it about that particular film that inspired you? Well, I, I uh, saw Driving Miss Daisy when I was 19 years old and was just absolutely loved it. It was... Um, one of my favourite films and and what I loved was the exploration of love in the context of a full life mm. and without um, being pinned to youthful beauty. I found there was something more pure about that and more beautiful about that in, in a way. Mm. Um, I had had an idea about a film um, that was just, just a few ideas to do something, um, to explore uh, something like that in similar ways. Uh, but I'd sort of really put it on the back burner. But my partner Tim and I went to Beijing um, and visited uh, my friend Craig Wood, who was editing uh, Zhang Yimou's The Great War, which Matt Damon was in. Yes. And while we were there, we, we decided to watch some of uh, Zhang, Zhang Yimou's films, including one film called Coming Home. And what struck me about uh, Zhang Zhang Yimou was the his sense of community, and I really I really identified with that. And this particular film was very similar in the in, in the exploration of um, with love with older characters. And I, I actually left Australia working on one script that Don and I were planning to do, and then I came home throwing that out the window, and immediately went back to this this idea that that I was inspired by Bruce's film. Mm. What was interesting about Bruce seeing the film was Sue Millican um, sent me an email, said, Bruce wants to see your film. And I'm like, how the hell does Bruce even know about my film? <laughs> and um, apparently he had heard, heard a, a few people, um, a couple of people went and worked on, um, oh, yeah, the, for some reason there was a couple of people that crossed paths and he, he somehow knew about it and knew that, Sue Millican was somehow involved, and so he came along to um, a cast crew screening and um, and really loved it. And that was just such a uh, an really amazing compliment that he was there and he he watched it. Um, I, I don't think I, he fully understands the the um, how much he'd inspired me. So yeah, it was quite quite a beautiful experience for me. So did you get the opportunity to have a chat with him? What, what else did he say about the film? That, that must have been quite nerve-wracking for you. Uh, no, I, I, it wasn't. Um, it was, it was it, I, I guess so, yeah, it was probably, yeah, coming back, yeah, I was a little bit not sure 
what to do. But Sue was there and Sue Sue came in. What was funny about that that day was um, Sue had already seen the film. Um, we had a special screening in, um, in Gold Class for Sue and the actors just to show them the film. And she, she turned up with Bruce and said, look, I'm just going to settle Bruce in and I'll get going. I've already seen it. Um, and and I'll I'll talk to you later, she said. Um, and at the end of the film, uh, Don McAlpine and I turned around, and Sue Milliken's still sitting there, and she said, "I think I enjoyed it more more that time than the last time." Wow! <laughs> so wow! We just a, a few people have said that they've 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 watched it multiple times and seem to get more out of it. So I find that I I, I do I do understand the second time because the first time you don't know what's happening. And the second time you do, and you're looking at it in an, in sort of a different way. Um, so I understand that. But a few people have seen it like more than twice, and mm-hmm. still seem to get something out of it. So it's it's um, yeah, I'm really uh, quite um, thrilled that we seem to have hit the right tone that we we wanted to hit with this one. Yeah, I guess that plays into the depth of these characters, really. Um, but, you know, because the the characters do have quite a large backstory, there is a bit of depth to them. I can see how people are, are discovering new new things about them, uh, you know, on each viewing. I think as well, yeah, you, you, you're very correct around that. But the, the film's talking about artistic integrity mm. and and that was, and the, the, the film's really a technical accomplishment. There's a, there's a lot of um, um, technical things about this film that's quite extraordinary. But the the one thing that was really important was that we we the the film itself meets the standard of that the characters uh, stand for in a way. So I, I think you you can feel that you're in good hands and you can feel the detail. Yes. And it's even though it's quite a simple story, there's a lot of subtle details in the sound and the vision and the being very specific about um, how we're we're allowing this story to unfold. That um, there's a certain care that um, yeah, we've really we've we've really polished this one up in in that sense, I guess. Yeah. So describe the uh, story of A Stitch in Time for our listeners. What's, what's it about in your own words? Uh, it's about um, displacement and belonging. Um, it's, it's about a former dressmaker who meets a young Chinese fashion designer who inspires her um, to live again and, and to um, create again and, and, and be led by her passion. Um, I, I think that's probably the simplest way I could explain yes. it yeah and it's such a beautiful and, and inspiring story um you've said that you always have this connection to older people uh, and that you have a lot of older friends can can you elaborate on that a bit more for us so why do you think that is or, or why is that the case I value the experience of others um I think um the true collaboration is the multiplication of intelligence I I find and I always value people um who've been through it all um, there's something about um, a lot of elders I've noticed that uh, there's a certain there's a certain um, comfort that comes with experience and to tap into that and to understand um, what's important, what's really important and what's not important in situations I've always found really really valuable. Um, different tips and tricks and 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 just the stories and and the yeah I've always 
found great value in um, the elders in my life and I seem to have quite a few of them uh, as well as young people all, all ages and and the other the other thing that I, I was almost surprised by the the um, people's uh, pointing out the diversity in the film yes. I, I wasn't I wasn't entirely I, I was very aware of the Chinese element um, and and what that means but the overall sort of larger diversity um, within the film to me um, I I didn't I didn't really see that so much it's just my experience of life and and also Sydney's Sydney life um, it, it, to me it was just a natural um, uh, a natural dynamics of a story set in Sydney. Um, so I guess that and elders too. And, and I, but I do I do think that um, um, there's a lot there's a lot more amazing stories to be told with with older people. Yeah, I, I think there's I think there's a lot there's a lot of untapped gold um, with our elders um, and 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 just to think of to try and position elders a little bit differently to the way we're, I guess, um, trained to consider elders in our society. I, I saw, I saw an opportunity to, I, I was very, I was very aware that there was an opportunity there to say something different about elders. Cinema Australia podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud or cinemaaustralia.com.au. Where did the idea of the film's uh, main character, Lee, being a dressmaker, come from? Um, I'm I'm not quite sure of the actual specific moment, but it was very interesting. I where, while I was developing the, um, I'll, I'll try and remember that. I, I can't actually quite remember why I specifically decided that she's a dressmaker, or how that came about, or, or, or what point. I think one of the interesting things was. Um, I'd go into the, there's this store called Kitten de More, which um, they have very sort of old French style clothing. And I used to imagine that that was Lieber's store. And so in writing the script, I, I sort of kept going to this particular um, store with Kitten, Kitten de More. And then I reached out to them and they ended up providing all the dresses for the film. So, oh, um, and, and the designer, Alana, Alana Smith, she, she, uh, she designs all of the, clothing and so in some ways um, um she's kind of like the part of the soul of this character um what's thrilling is we're having a screening in 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 brisbane and um alana and i are meeting for the first time um and maggie's going to be there as well so yeah I, I it's all about balancing dynamics of different characters and somewhere along the line i decided she'd be a dressmaker i, I can't quite remember specifically why i, I decided that that's what um, she needs to be. I, I guess I have an interest in fashion and yeah. the couture, couture um, dressmaking. I find just really, really fascinating. So I think it was just the opportunity to explore that a little bit. I think uh, it really comes through on screen. I mean, I'm a 38 year old, you know, overweight, bearded, unkempt dude sitting here in board shorts and a Batman shirt right now. But but I can <laughs> say that these dresses that both these two main characters wear in the film are quite beautiful. And uh, my wife actually walked in while I was watching the film, and the first thing she said was, "Oh wow, look at those dresses!" Yeah, it's we're yeah we're really excited. The there's a Kitten De More have this massive fan base, and I they're so excited about this film. We've had to put on some special screenings for them, 
Um, yeah, so yeah, it's they really are, they really are beautiful. Um, Alana's quite an incredible um, person. It was really wonderful. We were filming in um, Greenfields in Surrey Hills, this fabric store, and there was a piece of fabric that, that um, was sent down from from one of the dresses, this red fabric, and I I sent a text to to Simon Alana's partner. You know what? What can you tell me something about this? fabric and Alana sent a message back describing this fabric and and that actually I, I quickly adjusted the script to basically say what she said in that text so not only is yeah so to have actually her words in the film as well is, is really um is really really touching as well yeah very authentic um uh, I want to talk about this incredible group of actors that you're working with here but I want to start with uh, Glenn Shorrock who who plays uh, Duncan in the film? Uh, you know, most most singers tend to lose their voice as they get older. But uh, but but Glenn still he can still beat out a tune. Um, can you tell us about Glenn's casting here? And uh, for our listeners who don't know, Glenn is the founding frontman of Little River Band. Yes, yes. So he he heckled me the other day um, on stage. He said, "I heard you wrote this for for Jack Thompson," and I immediately said, "That's right." <laughs> um, we so I wrote. I was originally thinking um, that Jack Thompson. I, I I did write it thinking of Jack Thompson, but he was unavailable um, to to do it. And when Maggie um, when Maggie Blinko came on board, um, she knew we hadn't cast uh, Duncan yet, and she said, "Why don't you try Glenn Shorrock? And I just thought, oh, okay, that, actually that makes sense. Why rather than find an actor and get them to sing, probably a a singer, because the, the the one thing, the, the one thing you worry about, well, I was I was concerned about, is getting that magic in the song, getting getting the magic in the voice, um, and all of a sudden it did make sense. Well, that's probably better that we find a singer who has that magic and 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 just get the performance out of out of a singer. It might be a better way to go about it. Yeah. I I just YouTubed um, Glenn. And just to see what he looked like, to see how dynamically he would go with Maggie, and he was um, he was singing "Cool Change," and on it, within ten seconds, I was in tears. By the time the song ended, I was dialing the, dialing the number and getting in touch with him to offer him the role, basically. Um, so it was it was a, it it took me ten seconds to make up my mind that that we had Duncan. Um, yeah, I, I just it, it, at a glance he was Duncan and and um I had to have him he's 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 quite a good little actor actually and and I found his character to be quite engaging he's a total prick for most of the film but he does this character <laughs> does deserve some sympathy right yeah I think so I I don't I'm not a big believer in the good guy and the bad guy I, mm. I think people are generally more complicated than that um and you know this is a man who's got a lot of thorns in his hoop in his hoofs so to speak yeah. and yeah i i think so it was it was it's interesting because glenn is just such a kind and beautiful person um yet he really loved and fell right into playing what what seems to be a, you know really despicable you know despicable behavior mm. um but we 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 talked through what was tormenting him and why and uh glenn was able to tap into some experiences in his life 
enough to understand um, those sort of feelings. And what I found interesting with Glenn is he he didn't he he never tried to be technical. Mm. He just tried to understand um, what Duncan was going through, and was was in a sense quite um, he was in a sense a little bit lent towards a method acting style. And um, I, I I had to be very um, gentle and. Uh, I guess um, supportive of him through this process um, because I could see what he was doing. But yeah, he was—he was really—he—he uh, was—he put—he put his all behind it. He didn't—he didn't lean on, lean back on the idea that I'm Glenn Shorrock or anything like that. I mean, what, I was just so impressed with him as an artist to take on something that he—he he hasn't really explored much before and just really go for it and put his all into it. It was, it was, he was, he was, he really inspired me quite a lot. Yeah. He's great in the film. Um, so, so tell us a bit about working with these other veteran actors like John Gregg, Blinder Giblin and uh, Maggie Blinko. I mean, these guys have been in the business for a very long time. Um, I'm sure you held yourself very well, but did imposter syndrome kicking it all from time to time? Do, do, does that happen? No, to you? no, no, not, uh, uh, no, no, not at all. Um, not at all. Uh, the only time I was so excited to have John Gregg on board and the first scene we did was, you know, when Lieber wakes him up, you know, early in the morning and he comes up the stairs and his first delivery of the line was very different than what I needed for the film. Wow. And I freaked out for a moment because I said, no, uh, that's I." my first direction to him was, sorry, it's completely wrong. You've got to do it this way. And I, I, I was terrified to say that. I was really hoping this would be something simple and would get, a lot, get along well and would really establish a good relationship. And it, it sort of, the, that was the only time that I, I did feel a bit, um, I guess, not, I, I don't know if intimidated is the right word, but I, I had to tell him that, sorry, that's completely wrong. We need to do it this way. Um, but he he's like oh okay and he just changed and and came up the stairs and just nailed it and and it was just such a relief for me um and I I just realized how lucky I was to have a man an actor like this he was just brilliant I I I yeah so it was a moment of oh my god is this gonna work and then yeah and then 10 minutes later he nailed it and it was just yeah he's we became such good friends it was it was so so tragic um, his passing, but but he did see the film, and and um, I was able to show him some audience reactions from one of the test screenings, so he knows that it's that we've got something special. Um, but there was one moment when we were we had everybody together: um, uh, Hua Hyundai, um, Glenn Shorrock, John Gregg, Maggie Blinko, Belinda Giblin, um, all in this one having this one scene together, and that was probably the most thrilling day for me directing. And it was what was so wonderful about it is that every single one of them had a slightly different, or some of them radically different style of acting, but they were all completely different. There was no, um, I didn't find there were similarities between the way any of them worked. And um, and I needed to approach each one completely differently. And, and then there, we've got this complex dynamics going on. And really, I just find that so thrilling. Um, in that situation, I don't know why. Um, it's yeah, but it was it was 
it was so fun. I just I can't I can't begin to yeah to be to be in a room with all these amazing actors and doing this incredible scene together and um, and just and yeah having Don there and it, I, yeah I just it's just it was just such a thrill. Um, I've, we've got a lot of first-time feature filmmakers who listen to this podcast and, and you know, not just first-time feature filmmakers but established filmmakers as well. And, and you just mentioned Don there. Um, I have to ask you, what's your secret here to, to be able to amass such a, an enviable cast and crew? I mean, how, how do you get Don, El, uh, Don McAlpine on your, on your film? We, we, we're, uh, well, Don and I have been friends for many, many years and we've been wanting to do something together for a long time. This was, very, um, th- this was a very different project in that we, I could see that um, the ABC were no, no longer had their training program. Um, Film Australia is gone. Um, there's not a lot in Australia that, Give young people the opportunity to um, uh, to, to have any ch- training in this way. I guess um, I I said to Dom, we, we we basically followed the teaching hospital model, whereby you have you know experienced doctors and young doctors learning, and but most of all, you can't let the patient die. Yes. Um, and so it, we we sort of follow that model of having a mixture of masters and apprentices. Mm-hmm. We we approach the film um, in a very technically different way than um, than most people make a film. There's, the, the technical side of this is is very very interesting to, if mm-hmm. if you go into it. There was a lot of um, Panasonic, Panavision, uh, Rode microphones. There was a lot of companies that were that understood what we were trying to achieve, that also um, loved the the idea of the story, which in a sense was also talking about what it means to make it and the obsession, I guess, that um, a lot of us are taught that of this idea of, um, of capitalising on your creative instincts and, and making it as such. And what does that even mean? And I, I think... The, the film explores that and and it was I think a lot of people found the that side of it interesting found this the idea of this sort of master apprenticeship and this project you know around um, you know Don McAlpine William Pashley um, uh, Ben Osmo um, very interesting um, it, you know just I don't know we just I just found people that wanted to be wanted to come on board a jump on the pirate ship and come on an adventure. And we just um, reached out and got a lot of people that said, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. So what would the ratio be of experienced filmmakers versus, uh, you know, these up-and-coming uh, apprentice-type filmmakers that you're working with on this one? Oh, okay. Let me think about that, actually. It's probably one-third. Uh, yeah, we had it, We had it sort of a, 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 a quite a range, actually, of very of just off the street almost to people that were had, that were just really wanted an opportunity to work with Don and learn from Don. Mm. So there was there was sort of a bigger range than what we expected in in that sense. Probably one third um, apprentices, uh, one third uh, knew what we were doing, and, and one third masters. I guess. I, I, yeah, I, I guess that would be a fairly fairly accurate ratio. I guess. 
you you mentioned before about how you were nervous about telling John Gregg uh, what to do, uh, you know, with that first line. Was that the same with Don McElpin? I mean, how do you tell someone who shot Breaker Morant or, uh, you know, Mrs Doubtfire that you don't like a particular shot? Uh, no, we didn't work. It wasn't like we, we never worked like that. Uh, Don Don always, he he's always trying to get into the head of the director. So he's, he's, He's constantly working out what I um, want to do. Um, I've I've had quite a strong um, camera background in a way. So the thing we've done is it's and the thing with me as well. It's everything is about story. Um, the the placement of the camera, whether you're at eye level, above eye level, below eye level, um, everything is 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 you're doing everything for a reason. Um, and and how is this? propelling the story forward and um it's just he and i think similarly I, I i guess which is why we've always got along so well um i um yeah i, I never felt it was ever me saying this is what we're doing or him saying this is what we should there's just this constant dialogue and collaboration and evolving with something together um I love I love talking to you, and I love talking about this film because it's it's so such a beautiful, really really well made film, which I enjoyed very much. And uh, I love your enthusiasm, and everything sounds like um, you know it was so positive for you, and such a positive shoot, which makes me so happy. But uh, w- w- did anything bad happen on this shoot? <laughs> oh yeah, like yeah, we were. I mean, even now we we just um, we got these. I mean, even today. Um, you know, we're we're suddenly being released in eighty cinemas across the country, and and the logistical challenges of getting. You know, we got Glenn. We we're just in Melbourne. We Tim and I just got back to Sydney just a couple of hours ago. Um, the, the logistical challenges. Um, Maggie uh, was with us, and um, and Tim and I were trying to sort out some issues. And she's like, "Oh my God, what's going on? Is everything okay?" And and like, no, Maggie, this is just. This behind the scenes stuff. This is yes. the entire process has been like this. It's just, it's it's the the logistical. Cha- I, I'm filled by logistical challenges and technical side of things. And I, I, I let me say this that there was one day where um, we just we'd finished shooting and I was we're working out stuff for the following day. And there's a uh, yeah, there's a whole heap of things to do. It was probably the toughest day on the shoot and. Um, I just stopped for, you know, 20 seconds and took a deep breath and smiled and just couldn't help think to myself that we're making a movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I think I think you got to be thrilled by that because, yes. you know, you, if, if you want to make movies, that's what movie making is. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's wrestling these logistical and technical challenges to tell a story. I mean, it's, it's, you're either you're either um, thrilled by doing that, and 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 or or you know maybe um, do something else. You know, I I, I for me it was just um, yeah. I don't know. Um, Johnny Seal once said, you know, the more drama, the better, and I really understand that. You know, when there's just something when there's so many logistical things and so many uh, creative elements, and you're driving everything to 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 tell a specific idea and a specific story 
um, I don't know. It's just there's something just thrilling and wonderful about that for me anyway. There's some good advice there, folks. Um, uh, I want to ask you about the. I've got I've got just two more questions. I, I want to ask you about the promotion of the Stitch in Time. How have you found the process of spreading the word about this film? And I know it's playing in. I, th- I think it was a hundred cinemas, or you, you just said eighty. Um, no, I think it's. I think we're eighty. We're probably. Um, I think we're above. I'm not quite sure actually. I think we're above eighty now. It just. It's um. It's been quite. We, I was so excited that we were going to be opening in. You know, I think it was somewhere between five and nine cinemas around Australia. <laughs> and all of a sudden we're now in 80. It's just, it's quite um, difficult to believe in a, in a way. But um, so we, we, we know that the, we, we're finding a lot of people love the story and get quite passionate about it. We know that if we can get enough snow on the snowball, that it can roll down the hill on its own, yeah. that it will just, it'll, it'll build up. And we can just let it go and it'll just take off on its own. Yes. Uh, have we got enough snow on the snowball for that to start happening? Uh, we shall see. Um, I, I just think it's the film's about um, community and belonging and our passions. Um, I, I think for the film, it's it would be great if it, it, it took off, but... Um, I think it's mostly great for the community and I think for the larger, to find a larger audience means that we're exposing more people to what I think is a really um, relevant and beautiful story and, and, and something that I think people will get a lot out of. So so we, we're trying to get enough snow on the snowball, not just for, for my sake and the sake of the, the project, but also for the sake of the audience as well. I mean, if we can really get this going, I think um, we're really going to um, touch a lot of lives in a really positive way. And and I think this right now in what we're going through, I, I think this is really um, important film. And, and not only that, you know, there was, there was some pressure for me to change the date of our release date. And I, I didn't want to do that because I think that this is potentially a film that will help bring people back to the cinema. Yes. And yes. and and, if, and I see an opportunity. So I've taken a risk um, because I, I I just feel it's um you know it's 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 potentially going to help help a, a you know a whole industry out here. And um, if there's an opportunity to help in some way, then let's just stick to this date and see what happens. I agree. I agree entirely. I think you've hit the nail there. Um, I want to close off this interview by asking you a question that I ask all my guests on this podcast. Have you seen any Australian films uh, recently or or this year or maybe in the last six months of last year that have stood out for you? Um, We watched June again and we really loved that. Um, Oh, it's such a great film. Yeah. In some ways it it hit a similar tone to our film. um, My partner Tim and I um, noticed. But, yeah, we... we, um, yeah, we 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 uh, we did love June again. Um, that was the last Australian film we um, well we watched fairly recently. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! That's wonderful to hear, um, Sasha. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you. Uh, I wish you all the best for for this film. I, I hope everyone goes and sees it, and uh, I hope it all works out very well for you. Oh, thanks, Matthew, and thanks for um, all the work you do and for your interest in in the stitching time. Thank you. Thanks for sticking around, folks. And as promised, here's that chat with Belinda Giblin.
Hey, Belinda, thanks for joining us. It's a real pleasure to be chatting with you. Yes, lovely to, to finally be talking to Perth. I feel like we've been two countries over the last couple of years. So Yes, that's true. Are you familiar with Perth? Have you been over here much? Uh, many times. I've toured oh, with steaming and bedroom farce and uh, it sounds like I'm doing all the same sorts of plays, a play called Scam, a play called Same Time Another Year. I've done... I've done quite a lot of tours. Hey, yeah, uh, I had so much fun with this film. Uh, I certainly didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did, uh, <laughs> mostly because I didn't really see myself as being the target demographic for it. But I think it's brilliant. It's got this universal story and uh, and you're amazing in it, of course. So congratulations on this one. Thank you. It's, uh, yes, it's a, a lot of fun. Um, and I hadn't seen it for a little while. Well, obviously, since we were doing it and now he's... Yes. He's edited and put the music in and uh, it's now a film. Um, and it was very, very exciting to see the finished product. And I was so absolutely proud of Sasha, the, the director. This is his first feature. And he's a young man, um, youngish man, certainly a hell of a lot younger than me. <laughs> but um, he didn't know me. I was recommended to him, and Maggie, and we were, and John, Greg, who was, was sadly not with us anymore, but who beautifully played my husband, and uh, and Glenn uh, and Hua. We we were all unknown to Sasha, and and so we came together and filmed this thing. It was a passion project for really for all of us, I suppose. But the thing about Sasha is he wrote it. He directed it and he edited it and it was his baby and he had his complete, he wouldn't let it go. It was like a dog with a bone um, <laughs> with a lot of wonderful input because, you know, he's he's quite a protege of quite a few people. Don McAlpine, the great Don McAlpine, the cinematographer, whom we were very lucky to have film it. I mean, Don's won Academy Awards left, right and centre. He's a, He's a and all sorts of awards. So he was an absolute gem and just steered Sasha beautifully through it. And the filming of it, I think, is utterly beautiful. No, no, but I was going to say the script by a young man about mm. older people yes. was so sensitive and so understanding of our demographic. I mean, Maggie's uh, a bit older than me, but even so, we are of a certain generation. And he just totally understood he says and he has this connection with older people did you find that uh, without question yeah. um he's um yeah and and the humor of it was was mature and the the sensitivity of it and the little the detail yeah. Sasha has just little moments there's a moment in the film where I you probably remember where I knock on the door of the the student Asian student household where the Lieber character, the lead character Maggie, is staying in the garage. Yes, and I open the door and say, per the script, you know, can I is is Lieber here? Uh, and as a joke, I spoke in Japanese. Yes. Because I did Japanese at university, I thought right. it was a bit of fun. Yes, and I said it as a joke. And 
Sasha said, we've got to keep it in. We've got to keep it in. No, no, no. We've got to keep it in. It's wonderful. It's, we've got to... So he had an ear for... I said, no, we can't. Because what I'm saying in Japanese is I love you. Yes, yeah. Which is nonsensical. Mm. But um, he said, no, no, we could keep that in. And, of course, it's quite a funny moment. But he's got a, he's got a kind of a sensitivity and I think a subtlety about it. We've had lovely reviews here in yes. Sydney, yes. really nice reviews, thank mm. God. Mm. Yeah, all the reviews that are coming in have been amazing. There's been a lot of positive feedback about it. Mm. Uh, you mentioned uh, working with that incredible cast there. Did you all get to spend much time together away from the shoot or, or was it all business while you were oh, shooting? Oh, no, no, not away from it. No, we, people are so busy these days. You yes, know? Yes. Glenn goes off and does his gigs and, um, yeah, we were, we all, we don't socialise, but, you know, you spend from... 6 a.m. in the morning to probably midnight yes. some days, that's enough to be mixing with people. Yes. Uh, you, you just spoke oh, so But beautiful. do I socialise? Maggie and I, are, uh, Maggie and I do. We are yes. very, very close friends and we see each other all the time mm -hmm. uh, regularly, you know, and we go to each other's houses and have tea and Bickies and cake. <laughs> um, John and I were great mates. We've worked together on stage before quite a few times. Um, so we were familiar with each other. Well, I'd never met. And Glenn lived next door to me in Birchgrove in Sydney, uh, next door to me. When he Is was that in, true? Well, wow. when he was in Little River Band. Oh, wow. We, we lived by the water. and So were you the neighbour calling the police to tell them to I was up? the neighbour saying, shut the with a noise, you know. I'm sorry, I hope you'll have to buzz that out. But, no, I said to Glenn the other, um, in fact, a couple of nights ago when it premiered here, I said, God, I remember living next door to you. And he said, yeah, oh, no, darling, sorry about the racket. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. That's it, was, wonderful. it was quite, we were both very young then. Um, um, you were speaking of Sasha before and you spoke about him so so beautifully. Yeah. Uh, he mentioned that he he used the making of this film as a training ground for emerging filmmakers. Was that felt on set? Yes, actually. What what we were witnessing, I, I really liked working with Sasha. He's got a great sense of humour. But he was always, because he's very much Don McAlpine, who was the cinematographer, he's very much Don's protege. Yes. And Don really thinks he's got what it takes yeah. and he kind of mentored him but very very gently very much in the background but didn't interfere too much mm. Sasha ran the show but you know he had people around him who were so taken I think by his passion and by his attention to detail he was new to actors he he felt new to actors because he yes. hadn't really worked with them and I mean he was working with some pretty uh high profile people so credit to him that he just took the ball by the horns yes uh, I guess something that's going to stand out for most viewers are these incredible dresses that both yourself and Maggie get to wear you both practically burst through the screen in these dresses uh, they're absolutely wonderful are, are those yeah. kind of outfits your style were you happy with those uh, creative I choices? love them so much um Kitten D'Amour is the name of the yes. label um I loved I absolutely loved them um and I bought a couple oh yeah yeah, um, and I'm an older woman, uh, but 
I still have quite a young body, so they they fit me yes. perfectly. They're very, very couture and beautiful. Yeah, beautiful um, dresses. No, no. I'm, in fact, I'm wearing one of the dresses tonight at one of the screenings up on the northern beaches here. So, oh, wonderful! There you go. That's beautiful. Yeah. Oh no, um, they're they're utterly beautiful. Yes, yes. I've just got one uh, final question here. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what did you take away from this film personally? I and mean, then there's a lot of deep messages here. Or what was something that you took away from it? Well, it was f- such fun to play uh, mm. a, a bubbly, a bully, and fun-loving scatterbrain. It was a lovely character to play. She was bright and chirpy and positive and optimistic, lonely as buggery, but very (laughs) optimistic. Um, I'd been playing on and off on Home and Away, which, of course, I'm a guest and have been for three years on that show, playing Elf's wife, uh, playing very much a sort of lame duck, you know, Mm -hmm. borderline personality disorder, delusional, God knows what. Um, so it was lovely <laughs> to play this, which is much more me, yes. um, very bright, chirpy. But what I took away from it, in fact, was I love working with young people. I love working with, and by that I mean young directors, mm. young writers, young actors. In this case, they weren't. But um that's what I love, and if and because my my aim is to continue working until I'm a hundred, uh, and the landscape is quite young now, um, coming up in theatre and in film and in television. So yes. you've got to be in there. I, I really hope to see you working until you're a hundred. You're fantastic on screen. <laughs> I hope so. Uh, Belinda, it's been fantastic chatting with you. I would have loved another half an hour with you to take a deep dive into your character here, but um, what you've given us is wonderful. So congratulations on this film and, uh, and thanks for your time. Thank you so much. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you for listening to the Cinema Australia podcast. You can keep up to date with all the latest Australian film news, reviews, features and interviews at cinemaaustralia.com.au.